Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. So, there's two ideas of how we, we view God when we look at him in his health insurance. We check off a box, just going to church, making our monthly payment, or you might get like the annual premium, okay, where you just make one good payment on Easter. Maybe you got the semi-annual payment, you make it on Christmas too, and you kind of just check that box off to where you're like, okay, I should be good on not going to hell now because I did my, my payments. And while it's a nice gesture to offer God this, uh, offer God this, this kind of payment checklist, it's really not what He wants. He wants our full hearts. He's not satisfied with the checklist. And no relationship is satisfied like that. Even if you think about a job, Bosses will get irritated with employees, even if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they, they're not really present in their job. You could be checking off the boxes, but if you're not present at your bo- job, if you're not actually interacting uh, and connecting at your job, you'll even make just secular work environments unhealthy. And so if we understand that in every other relationship, let's look at this idea that God wants our full hearts. And does that really seem like a, an obscure or unreal, unrealistic expectation? Is it really too much for God to ask of our full selves? I mean, you're talking about our creator. Anyone that has kids, we have like even some uh, unrealistic expectations that are greater than God's expectations of our kids. Like, I'm your father. You will do this. I'm your father. I'm your mother. See, we have those expectations even with our kids that are go beyond what, we, what God expects of us, we feel like God should be satisfied with the scraps of our lives, the very leftovers of our lives. But He seems to want this whole meal. And I want us to think about this perspective. Is it God that is missing out on us? Or is it us missing out on God? Is it God missing out on us? Or is it us missing out on God? Listen what this Bible says verse says on the matter in Revelation chapter 3 verse 15 15 through 17 Jesus says I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold I wish that you were one or the other but since you are like lukewarm water neither hot nor cold I'll spit you out of my mouth you say I am rich I have everything I want I don't need a thing and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. See, there's two big implications of this verse. Really two big implications. First is that the verse is implying that one foot in and one foot out is not an acceptable form of worship to God. That He doesn't want it. He literally is saying, I wish that you would be one or the other. He's not satisfied with being a a, a side chick. He desires an all or nothing from our hearts. And it makes this impression like that of a marriage, that God is saying that He won't share our heart with another lover, uh, another level. And secondly, he, impl- he implies that we think we are fine without Him. Yet he, has this, he gives this impression that we think we are fine without Him and we don't even realize how desperately we need Him. It makes me think about oxygen. You really don't know how much 
you need oxygen until your head is below water, right? It's only in the moments that we're drowning that we realize how much we need something that we take for granted. And it makes me think about how we view God, how we view the world, and this idea of going all in and really just understanding that God is this end all. And for me, it makes me think about the moment that I was getting baptized. We're talking about, you know, being held underwater and stuff. And prior, because that's how you're really supposed to get baptized, being like underwater until the bubble stop. No. Uh, but, <laughs> joke. Uh, but I remember the moment that I got baptized, what was holding me back for so long was having this one foot in, one foot out. And I remember this, the, the, this last thing, like when I was giving my life to Christ, it was like this, this like slow and steady pace as I was getting closer and closer to God. And it was like, no one had to tell me not to do something. It was like, even just like something like cussing. Like I never like had anyone tell me like, you really shouldn't cuss. It was just like this natural change in my heart to where it was like my convictions changed. It was just like a slow movement of where God was refining my heart. And all of a sudden it got to this point where one of the biggest things I was holding on to was, was smoking weed. And I went on this seven day fast where I wasn't going to smoke weed. And on the third day, I found like it was abundantly clear that I could trust God with the thing that I was holding back. See, I was scared to go all in with God on this one area. And it was not that I just wanted to get high all day. It was more so that I wanted to have a, a source of peace. And see, I was in this moment where I realized I could trust God with that peace. I was afraid to go all in, but I realized I could trust Him. And so on January 27, 2010, that's when I went all in and I got water baptized that day. And it makes me think about in history, you know, missionaries back in the day were really crazy. Like we have... Uh, like so much technology to where we can share the gospel message in so many different ways. We don't, I, I could share the gospel message with someone across the world without ever having to go there. That's insane. But back in the day, they would just have to like walk there, boat there, you know, camel there, whatever. And there, I, I remember reading about how when missionaries came to Viking groups, talk about Vikings. I mean, I think the first image that we have of Vikings is like they're going to cut your head off. We're scared to just tell our coworkers about Jesus. We have missionaries back in the day, like they're, they're cutting anybody up that even goes near them. And they're like, hey, we have something we want to share with you. <laughs> have you ever heard about uh, Jesus Christ, your Savior? <laughs> and you know what the, the Vikings, what happened is that there's mass amounts of Vikings that started converting from their paganistic uh, beliefs to this monotheistic belief of Jesus Christ. And... There's stories how when they were getting water baptized, because I mean, like Vikings like, like pillaging and like raiding and all this stuff, right? There's a story I remember hearing about how when certain Vikings would get baptized, that they'd go to, under the water, but they would hold up their sword. And they would make this, this symbolism saying, God, this God can have everything except for this, except for my sword. And I want you to think to yourself, what is it that you have been holding above the water in your life? What is it that you have been holding above the water 
in your life? What is the one thing that's stopping you from really going all in with God? I think it boils down to trust. And us being able to trust God and fulfilling what we step away from. Being able to trust God what we step away from. Trusting Him to really be the end all for us. And with that being said, I want to go into our first point by looking at this verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Someone say, my heart. My heart. Yeah, let's come on. My heart. My heart. Yeah, there we go. We actually, we have a voice here. Your heart is reflected in your behavior. Your heart is reflected in your behavior. Everything that we do, everything that we say shows our hearts. If greed is in your heart, it will show in your tip. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it will show in your tip. When you tip your waiter or waitress, that greed will be prevalent by your behavior. It, or they were just really bad service. <laughs> if selfishness is in your heart, it will be seen in those moments that you split a cookie or a brownie and you give the smaller piece to the other person. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. See, that that's little bit of selfishness it shows in your behavior. And the same is for bigger stuff too. If you're emotionally disconnected with your spouse, it will show by the lack of romance, the lack of sex. If you've grown to hate your job, it will become obvious in your work ethic. It will become obvious in your performance. If your heart is far from God, it will show in your prayer life, in your Bible interests, in church attendance, in any other kind of behavior like that, it will show by your behavior. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So no matter what it is, if you want to check your heart on something in your life, simply check the behaviors that are associated Really look at yourself because I think that we should all take moments of self-reflection to see if we're actually behaving in the ways that we imagine ourselves to be. Think about how many times you've heard someone say, I'm a good person. And you're like, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> see, we should take those moments to really see if we match up to who we imagine ourselves to be. There's been so many times which I've, when I've counseled someone, given advice to someone, talked to someone who thought they were an all-in when it came to their faith, but their behavior showed otherwise. Same went for people in their marriages, in their leadership roles, in their work ethic. Their behaviors don't often match up to what they see themselves. It makes me think about when we're, uh, when we're youth pastors. And... It's a funny thing with youth ministry because I guess it's a compliment because I'd have the most random people come up to me and be like, yeah, I actually want to share a message. And I'm like, I made it look that easy, huh? <laughs> but see, I'd have people come up all the time and, and express how they, they were passionate about youth and that they wanted to, that they wanted to share and, and raise up youth and that they wanted to disciple young people. And like, just like really talking some game. And I'm like, okay. Can you show up to help move chairs next week? Oh, yeah, anything for the young people. Yeah. When can I start speaking, though? Well, let's, you know, show up first. And I'm telling you, it'd be two weeks, max three weeks, 
that this person would show up to help serve these young people. They would show up, I would have them move chairs, and then I would say, okay, now can you help connect with some of the kids? Like, make sure there's no kid alone. Like, like talk to the kids, really get to know them. And it just didn't seem like something they want to do. And see, they're, they said what they, what they wanted to say about being passionate, but their behavior showed where their heart was. That they didn't really have this heart for young people. That their behavior showed what was really in their heart was this, this, this desire for some type of short-term fame by being able to do a performance on stage. See, the heart didn't match the behavior. And you must adjust your behaviors and your heart and your emotions will follow. So often we think it's the other way around. That we need to get our hearts right first. I strongly believe that you should not wait to get motivated, but that you need to just do it. You just need to do it. Passion follows action. Passion follows action. If it's your marriage, you should start dating your spouse again. You should start trying to make some moves again. <sighs> some moves. You know, try to get in their pants like you used to. And get them... <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, get the, get him flowers or get her flowers, write him notes, do the passionate things that you used to do and you will feel the passion in your heart again. The passion will follow the action. So now that we're talking about getting our hearts right again, let's focus on our minds. Look at this story in Luke chapter 14. Verses 16 through 24. It says, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. It's just like when we started the church. <laughs> By all these people like, oh, I can't make it. One said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Someone say, my time. My time. My time. Thank you, Johnny. See, that's passion right there. He's, he's like, my, my actions are going to produce this passion. <laughs> he caught that. You make time for what you deem important. You make time for what you deem important. This story shows how we as people consistently excuse ourselves from things that are incredibly meaningful because we don't consider them important to us at the moment. I think that the real thing is we know that it's important, but it's not important to our hearts at the moment. We know that it is, but it's not really too, uh, that important to us at the moment. We're typically polite about it, but we don't really consider the things that we deny to be important enough for us to make time for. The dangers of living like this is that we often don't consider things important until it's too late. 
We don't realize it until it's too late. See, a diet, it's always important. But it's only important, like really important to us when our health is at risk. Or like we don't fit into clothes that we don't have money to buy new clothes. <laughs> it's only at that point where it becomes important, even though it's always important. But now it's too late. Eternity is important, but we only consider it when we're afraid it might be the end times. I don't know how many, it's like, depending on what happens in the world, we'll have like a couple people start like showing interest in church, coming to church. And when we're like connecting with them, they're just like, man, it's just like the end times, you know? It's like, well, like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. They're like, yeah, like, but like they like, it seems like like tomorrow it might be. I'm like, yeah, maybe. We, no one knows the hour of the time. And see, it's important at the moment because I don't want to like miss that ride. <laughs> just in case. But once things, those fears settle down of the world, by the end of that month, it's like, well, I guess I don't really need to get things right just yet. (laughs) See, it's no longer important at the moment. It becomes unimportant again. The same goes with time with our family, time with our parents, time with our kids, our loved ones. We put them on the back burner until life calms down and it's not so busy. But then, when tragedy happens, when life happens, we have irreversible regret in the moments that we lose someone who we didn't make time for while they were here. It makes me think about when I was uh, about to marry my wife, I was really, I was 19, and she was 22, and the only other uh, person as a, uh, when I was a Christian that I dated before my wife, um, uh, it, it was more like kind of like dating. We didn't ever made it official, but the last thing they told me was, I think you're just too immature right now. <laughs> and maybe when you're older, like your mind will develop more, like your brain will develop, and we could try things out then. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like... <laughs> I really need to like get some advice and counsel. Now I know that they were just crazy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great catch. But <laughs> see, I was really concerned about it. It really freaked me out. So I was like, I need to ask for advice about marriage. And so I'd ask everybody about marriage, especially when I found Lauren. I was like, I need to make sure I'm the man I need to be for her. And I remember this moment where I, I met uh, through, when I was doing this job and I just delivered some batteries, some oil, and tires and from my old job and then the the owner of the business said oh this guy's about to get married and this the this gentleman comes up he's like oh really and he starts talking to me and he starts talking about how he's just been divorced and i was kind of like a little like hesitant because the last guy that gave me advice that had just been divorced told me that lauren will have better leeway with the kids whenever we got divorced i was like okay like thank you sir i appreciate the advice and so I was kind of like a little hesitant, but he ended up giving me the best advice I ever got because he began elaborating and telling me how much regret he had in his marriage because he realized that he didn't make the time for his wife until it was too late. Until it was too late. And you're talking about he was adamant about wanting to be back with her, but it was too late. And he had so much regret in his, the number one thing that he was sharing with me is that he didn't make time for her. And 
Whenever you find yourself making excuses of why you can't do something, you should really pause and evaluate whether or not that thing is genuinely important. Whether or not it is genuinely important. Don't discredit, don't discredit it just because of it being a seemingly small thing either. We imagine that, yes, it's important, but it will really be important if it was a big deal. It's not a big deal. And we continue to put those not a big deal moments in this box that we'll just unpack later. And we keep putting off these little things that add up. See, a child can have a good or bad upbringing based on those little moments that the parents show over time. Those little moments can determine whether a child has a good or bad upbringing. People in extreme danger of health have been able to have complete turnarounds because of simple and small decisions over time. See, the healthiness and the growth of our own faith, the relationship with God, is subject to your willingness to take responsibility of your time, even if it is those little moments. So if we understand that time is important, that we, that we make time for what we deem important, we've covered our hearts and how we, how we have to get our behaviors right in order for our hearts to follow. We talked about how we have to reset our minds and no longer make excuses for ourselves from the things that are actually important. And now we're going to end by talking about our expectations and how they're this last piece of the puzzle of what's stopping us from going all in. With that being said, I want us to look at this last scripture in Mark chapter 9, verse 21 through 24. And it says, How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, Since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into a fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Didn't expect Jesus to talk like that, right? This last point, we're going to talk about my expectations. Your trust is realized in your expectation. Your trust is realized in your expectation. What you expect is the same to what you believe. Think about that for a moment. What you expect is the same as what you believe. And those expectations or beliefs are typically formed by what you have experienced. It's called, it's called a worldview. And as a simple perspective, if I were to throw a ball in the air, I would believe that it would come back down because of my experiences. I don't even have to really understand gravity. My experiences form my belief. And those experiences developed all the way back to when I was a child and I would throw something up in the air and it would come back down. See, that simple experience caused this belief to form about gravity. And in the same light, that's how we typically develop our beliefs and expectations about everything else. Except there's a lot more complicated things in the world than just gravity. And we rely simply on our experiences for our relationships, our jobs, and even God. We trust our experiences to lead our expectations. 
But how often has those experiences misled you? Our experiences do not always justify our beliefs. Our experiences do not just uh, do not justify our beliefs. In fact, our experiences should never be the only standard in which you believe something. It should never be the only standard in which you believe something. As as cultured and well-rounded as you may be, your experiences are incredibly limited. Your experiences are incredibly limited. Think for a moment. You've only had your parents. Maybe you've had some people that have stepped in as parents, but just for argument's sake, let's say you've only had your parents. At best, you've had two sets of parents, but you only have your parents. You don't know what every parent is like. You're talking about billions of people in the world. You've only had one set of parents. You've, you probably only grew up in one region of one state in one country, in one type of geographical weather system. Think about how small that is. Like San Antonio is pretty a big city, right? We're actually like the seventh largest metropolitan city in the world. Be that as it may, we're incredibly small in the world, in the nation, my bad. We're incredibly small just to Texas, let alone the entire U.S., let alone to all of North America, let alone to the entire Northern Hemisphere, let alone to the entire world. We are incredibly small. And when you trust your expectations you've experienced, there are billions upon billions of experiences that other people have had that could justify the exact opposite of what you believe. The exact opposite of what you believe because of their experiences being different than yours. Look at the difference between the idea of, of like that, the idea that marriage is like this fairy tale, wet, uh, fairy tale ending to life. This fairy tale beginning and ending to life. This Prince Charming comes in, swoops you off your feet, and love is just in the air, beautiful. Great experience. Now look at the belief of all men are trash. See, very different belief. <laughs> and see, those, that belief is formed out of experience. But isn't it amazing that we can literally be with one person and view all the species as bad because of our one experience, maybe three experiences. Yeah, that's like bad lotto numbers, okay? <laughs> but we develop these extreme expectations based off of these ruined healthy uh, uh, these these experiences and people even ruin healthy relationships by accusing a faithful boyfriend or girlfriend of cheating because that is what they expected based on their experiences how many times have people not tried a great church because they expect a church to be toxic think about how there's so many people that will refuse to go to church because of that bad experience. And so they expect it to be bad. How many times have people ran from God because they expect Him to be a religious overseer rather than a heavenly father? See, as I'm talking about these expectations, what I'm really saying is that these expectations we have stop us from going all in. You will miss incredible and meaningful opportunities if your expectations 
are always set to zero. Your expectations are holding you back. Oh, and uh, it makes me think about this, this last story I want to share about me and my dad's relationship. Growing up, I was not very close to any of my family. Uh, I, have, I have plenty of brothers and sisters, um, but I was not really close with them. I wasn't, I wasn't close with my dad. I wasn't close with my mom, but I was really not close with my dad. In fact, growing up, he was, he was my dad is like an entrepreneur, like businessman. Like he's always like doing some type of business. And even the, the other day, he told me that, uh, he told me that he was going on like this, this camping trip. And I was like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go and, and just spend the weekend camping. And I was like, by yourself? It's like, yeah. I was literally, and I told Lauren, and she's like, what? And the reason we were so shocked by this is because it's like you're supposed to be working. <laughs> you're supposed to be at your, at your shop. You're always working. And see, growing up, it was always like that. He was just always working. He typically, his, his work was typically in a different city than his home. And so I always just remember my dad being away. And even when it came to me becoming a teenager, I, I didn't really have this this dad around growing up and then when I became a teenager it's like it's just this big mysterious void I know I'm talking about like just this mystery of not understanding your dad not knowing your dad and I remember especially in those those years there's so much conflict we we would get go beyond just like getting under each other's skin when we did actually talk we realized that we couldn't talk to each other and it, it the the small bits of interaction we had typically ended up into some type of ugly fight. And so we just had this huge distance, this big void between me and my dad. And I remember this moment where we got into a certain argument and, I, and, and within the argument I said, I, I scoffed and said, I don't even have parents, what are you talking about? And he turned back to me and said, you wanna feel like that? Then I don't have a son either. So you're talking about like big you know, gap there. Well, when I gave my life to Christ, not only did my heart have this huge change where my desires changed, everything about my life changed, and I found this, this new relationship with Christ, my expectations also changed. And God put the seed in my heart that I could expect something different from this relationship between me and my dad. I'm talking about something that was like dead. And I really believed God at this expectation, this, this faith that I had. It wasn't based off of my experiences. It was really just based off of just believing that God could do anything. And so I, I started trying to, you know, like what I said earlier, put your actions before your passions, right? And so I started, even though I didn't really feel the change, there wasn't anything happening, I'd make little steps. And so there's a period where I ended up working with him and he would drop me off at home. And he, uh, we didn't live together or anything, but he dropped me off at the end of the workday. And I started doing this. Before I get out of the car, I'd be like, all right, love you, dad, bye. Just like slip it in there. Try if, guys, if you're dating a girl, try to slip it in there. Don't make this big thing. Just slip it in there. <laughs> I love you. And you know what he would do? He'd just be like, all right, <laughs> drive off. And I did that for, for a couple of weeks. And then one day, I was like, I'm going to really go for it. I'm going to like just put myself out there and I'm going to really like make this. I'm going to make an emotional connection with my dad today. If it's the last thing I do. And so instead of just doing the, the sly, like, love you, I, I was like, 
I stopped, I opened the door, and I paused. Dramatic pause, very key. Dad, I just want you to know that I don't care what anybody says. I don't, think, I don't care about the past or anything. You're still my dad, and I love you. Do you not just feel you like your heart? Did some of y'all just tear up? Thinking about your dad, that's right. You're just like, oh, my God. And, and you know what he did? He, he's driving like this. He turns aside. All right, well, you too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and see, that's what it was like at being now. Fast forward to 10 years later, 12 years later, I have such a healthy and good relationship with my dad. When I have a, a, an accomplishment or success, the first person I want to talk to is my dad. I talk to him every week. And when my kids aren't as crazy, I talk to him almost every day. We have this great, healthy, meaningful relationship, and it could only happen the minute that I allowed my expectations to change, that I was willing to go all in. And that saying, low risk, low reward, proves true. I think that's one of the biggest hesitations we have when it comes to expectation is we view it as a risk, this risk. But I 100% believe that the risk that we imagine about going all in with God is not based on reality, but it's based on our very limited experiences. The same goes for almost everything else. It's not that, that idea of risk isn't as real as you think. And I urge you to really, really trust God and be open to the idea. Be open to the idea that there is an incredible and abundant life to experience with God in your life. It if you would just go all in, if you would go all in. Jesus said in this verse, anything is possible to the person who believes. And what if taking the chance to go all in with God, to really believe in Him, was the best decision of your life? What if it was the best decision of your life? It was for me. It's the best decision in my life. And it is for so many other people. What if it is? What if it could be for you? So that being said, I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. As I'm sharing this last point, if you feel on your heart that pull to really just put your trust in Jesus, to go all in with God. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. It's saying that if you have a genuine heart and just talk to Him yourself, acknowledge who He is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start this relationship with Him, to start this journey with Him. And I urge you, allow your heart to go all in with Him. If that's you here today with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So just there to yourself, I want you to have that conversation with Him. Again, you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to Him yourself. And say what's really on your heart. Don't reserve yourself, but share your heart with God. Now while they're doing that, if you're here, and you feel like, you have, you've, you've get, become a Christian, you've made, you've made this decision of Christ in your life, 
and you're reflecting on these different points that we talked about today. You're reflecting about your heart. You're reflecting about the time that we give to things. You're, you're reflecting about the expectations you have. And I feel like for a lot of us, those expectations start to become sour over the years. When we first come to Christ, we have great expectations, but some of us over those years, those expectations start to become a little bitter because those painful experiences in life don't always stop. And maybe you're still a believer, but your expectation of God has turned real low. You're, you don't feel like that time is as important as it used to be. Or maybe you feel like your heart is different than your behavior. That's you, and you're just wanting to have this like fresh reconnection with God in your life. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray for the presence of God to be over these people, that they would experience your power and that they would feel the impartation of the Holy Spirit, that you would truly make them feel this fresh wind over them, that they would feel the passion of God in their hearts and in their lives once again, and that you just stir up a fire within them that makes them passionate about you, that makes them passionate about what you've called them to do. And I pray that you solidify their faith today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, with that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church.